So hi everyone, welcome back to the Moringa School podcast. Uh, it's nice to, to have you listening to us again. Uh, today we'll be talking about several issues. We'll be discussing the recent terrorist attack in Kenya and how we can use technology for good. We'll also be discussing a few talking points from the recent CES. Uh, and we are joined by uh, Kevin and other guests. Uh, let them introduce themselves. Hi guys, my name is Kevin Ahere. My name is Melissa. And my name is Michelle. So today um, <clears throat> we want to start with the, the topic of the terrorist attack that happened earlier this week and we'd like to send our condolences out to anyone who lost a friend, a relative or anyone you know who was in the building at the time. We'd like to send our condolences to the families and for anyone who's recovering out there, take heart and we hope for you a speedy recovery. Yeah, so... It, it was such a somber day on Tuesday. Um, terrorists just showed up at a, um, 14 Riverside, which is in Westlands, and they opened f- fire and they killed a lot of people, but a lot of people also got out and they were saved, we thank God. And I don't know, where do we start in terms of how maybe we can use tech to maybe capture these things before they happen or how we can use tech for good as Victor said earlier and yeah. how we can just try and avoid such situations so that in future we are better planned and we can capture these things before they happen. So maybe I'll open the floor to anyone who wants to begin the conversation. Yes, yes, yes. I think uh, beginning with the issue of terrorism and technology, I think first of all what we need to recognize is that it is there, you know. It's it's already there. It's 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 um. Ter- terrorists also know technology exists and they know how to use it. And it's all a matter of how we use it. We as ourselves, as the good people that you know, we are not terrorists. How can we use terrorists to facilitate good in society? How can we use technology? Did I say how we use terrorists to facilitate? Oh, my apologies for that. <laughs> how can we use technology to facilitate good in society? Like. Uh, we look we look at the recent events and when 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 you're talking about uh, technology that is in social media and what we are communicating to our friends and family with uh, what are we what are we talking about are we talking about how evil it was or are we trying to see how each and each and every one of us is doing how are we emotionally affected by this thing how can we pass messages and just putting out uh, information out there that promotes uh, comfort uh, that is not comfort but yeah, comfort as well, yeah, and uh, just basically facilitates our uh, mental strength to handle situations like this in the society. So I think that going forward, we should learn, we should understand that it is not a matter of technology being, you know, fast, just facilitating terrorism. We can also use technology to facilitate awareness. We can use technology to facilitate uh, support uh, among us as, as community. Yeah, what do you think, Kevin? I think terrorism has benefited from technology a lot. Yeah, we've seen the evolution of um, terrorism terrorists having like more organized networks, mm-hmm. and they can coordinate their attacks better. But on the flip side, I think also counterterrorism um, counterterrorism measures have improved because I know you guys can attest to this attack lasting a shorter time than the previous 
attack at Westgate. Yes. So also thank you to the armed forces for like the the rapid response yes. they showed us. Um in terms of getting information out there. Mm-hmm. Um what what do you guys think on the people inside the building using Twitter and Instagram to let us know that they were under attack and needed help? Um Michelle, any thoughts on that? I think it was very um guys got the information pretty fast because guys um on social media especially I was on Twitter and I saw um this place was under attack and immediately I texted a few friends of mine and called actually I first called my mother who works around that area and I informed her of what was happening around the area and I think social media really helps in spreading the message but at the same time as as you've all said up on propaganda <coughs> Social media can also be used um, by terrorists to spread propaganda. But at the same time, I loved how this time we used social media to send messages to our loved ones and to alert them on what was happening around and even to the security forces who showed up in, in good time to rescue as many people as they could. I think social media this time was used responsibly and people were really active and cautious on what they were spreading even though there are a few places where you could find negative and false information and i think that this time it was used pretty well and i'd like to comment comment kenyans on twitter kenyans on social media how they spread the word so fast and yeah to the security forces also we thank you so much for saving the few people who are there oh a lot of people who are <laughs> so confused this attack was crazy but um Yeah, I think social media this time was used very responsibly. Very okay. responsibly. Do you guys think there is a way that we can use technology uh to prepare ourselves better for situations like this in the future? Like we t- we talk about uh, having uh, CCTV controlled uh, buildings. We talk about like for instance when I, when I came into this building this morning when I, when I arrived for this podcast at the gate they require that I, that I that I write my name and I show my ID but Do you guys think there's there's better ways that we can uh, we can use technology to keep to keep track of what's going on in and around our, our community to know you know to be able to track uh, and even maybe predict when things like this can happen to be able to to know what looks fishy what looks out of the ordinary and do you think that there's a way we can also use technology to create kind of like a response system for when these things happen and we can just like have immediate reaction and um control the situation before it gets out of hand what do you think i mean personally for me i feel like prevention is better than cure yes and so i think where we have failed as a society is that we bring in technology when it's too late yeah so we usually try and come up with solutions like how can we use technology to combat terrorism mm. rather than to prevent terrorism Yeah. So I think sometimes it starts with going going through the mind of a terrorist. At what point does someone decide this is what I want to do? This is the crime mm-hmm. that I want to commit. You know because everyone grows up at some point and in those stages in those pubescent stages, adolescent stages, what's going on in the mind of a of a person, of a human mm-hmm. to the point where they decide this is the crime that I want to commit. You understand? Mm-hmm. And how can technology create awareness or prevent terrorism does it start with education yeah mm-hmm. yeah does I it start so. with exposure i think so because um in our institutions um especially i <clears throat> especially in something like accounts mm-hmm. they teach you ethics before 
getting into the accounting profession. So in 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 our developer circles, I think we should also practice good ethics. Ethics um, responsible for your technical expertise. I think ethics is very important. Yeah, I believe it's practiced in like when when when, when you go to school to learn hacking, you don't learn it as hacking, learn it as ethical hacking. You know. You, you are taught how to use it responsibly, yeah. but not to, to explore weaknesses, but to identify weaknesses so that you can... Yeah, there are actually people who yeah. are being paid to, to hack into systems and then they can show those companies how to better develop their systems. Mm-hmm. But there are also people who are trained in this, in this skill, in this skill set, and they have this skill set and they can use it to maybe get into police systems, now that we're digitizing our poly, uh, every every other system we're digitizing it. So mm. how can we train our developers, our engineers, to be more ethically, I don't know, ethically inclined? I think it all boils down to exposure, like we say. Like what are you exposed to uh, growing up? How is your mind? How how is um society and technology shaping? Because nowadays society is basically technology. What is society? Society is Instagram. It's Facebook. It's Twitter. It's, it's all these things, it's WhatsApp, it's everything that... But, I mean, we spend a good third of our day minimum looking at screens nowadays, Sindio. So it, it's safe to say that society nowadays is technology, Sindio. So technology is what's governing us. I remember one day I was having a discussion with my friend and we were talking about how, they, now, how nowadays we don't even raise our kids. Technology does it for us. All we do is limit the access that they have to it. You, know, you, you will raise your kid and you will tell them, like, you can't say certain words. You cannot go out there calling people these things. And then at the end of the day, they come and they sit there, they put on headphones and they watch a 30 minutes video of someone cursing from beginning to the end. There's no way this kid will not curse. Regardless of how good of a parent you are, it's almost impossible to shelter them from these things. So I think it boils down to what type of uh, exposure we have to the technology that we use. Uh, what are, w- w- growing up, uh, not even necessarily growing up, even as an adult you can be, you know, you can be affected. It's all about uh, what it, uh, um, uh, um, there's a term I saw called um, observing good uh, internet hygiene. It's about how you control yourself. It's about how what you search for. It's about what you watch. It's about what you listen to. It's about what you share. It's you know you can you can be affected and then spread it to other people. But I think to using technology as a means for good, as a as a as a way to share a good message, and not good message. That sounds like I'm teaching an eighteen year old that. <laughs> I mean, using technology uh, to spread. Um, uh, better messages to not when when you receive a video about an uh, something someone discussing about how they, they, they feel that the society not the society but maybe the government is doing something wrong and they should attack the government, they should do something like this. What do you do with such information? Yeah? Do you keep watching? Do you share? Do you do you tweet about it? Do you advise people against it? What do you do with it? Do you let it go into your head and start digging into more research about what government is doing wrong against you? I mean, it's all, it's, it all boils down to yeah, what we find, what, what we see, and how we react to it. So, what do you guys think? Is there a way that we can use technology uh, to better change the mindset and uh, to better like, uh, try to steer people away from uh, internalizing the bad stuff and thinking about it and rather like to 
to find better ways to actually sort of um, act against it instead of towards it. It's a good question you have there, but that seems more like a, a philosophical problem. Yeah. With all the technology we've invented, mm. back from the printing press to the internet right now, people will choose to use it in different ways. Yeah. You can't make them use the internet in like a linear way for learning and doing good things. It just needs for us to have the mindset of bad people are going to be there. So we're going, we need to find means to stop them. Yeah, it means to stop the bad people from doing bad yeah. things. We yeah. can't exclusively say we're only going to use the internet for, for bad things. In an ideal world, like the internet is um, the savior of our species. Yeah. You can get You can get info from um, any era in human history on the internet right now. Mm-hmm. You can also get um, like information on how like the most evil people in history used propaganda to influence people's minds. So um, I think we just need to focus more on how we're going to stop them if it does happen. Yeah. So and yeah. what do you guys think of the new forms of crime that the internet or that technology has brought about? Because um, even before the internet, there were still forms of terror, right? Yeah. But now with the internet, with technology, there's also cyber security problems. There's hacking um, which is a very big problem. I had a friend who, well, I have a friend who recently got hacked. Her Instagram uh, was hacked and the hacker deleted all her posts. So what's sad about this is that she's a public figure and so she's also a content creator and her portfolio is basically her work, the photos that she's taken, the videos, the documentaries that she's done and her personal brand, you know, how she gets... Um, work is through her social media right Mm. so i mean really they really try to find obviously who the hacker was she contacted someone in cyber security but they weren't able to trace the only thing they could find was the ip address and that gives you such limited um, information depending on your level of knowledge of cyber security Mm. so i mean is that terrorism like is that um obviously it's an attack on a personal uh level who knows who, could, who who knows who it could have been, but new forms of crime, new forms of terror that we're going to see in the in the future. What do you what do you think? How can we combat that? How can we prevent that before it happens? Um, because there's this assumption that terrorists are not tech savvy, and they are. You understand? So, w- what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on the new forms of crime that technology? is bringing about or will bring about? I don't know. I think people need to be filtered. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the correct word, but um, um, as we were discussing earlier before the podcast started, we said um, when there's an increase in like um, maybe an attack or, a, or just bad behavior in society, there'll be a demand for us to prevent this thing from happening. So let's say right now, um, we have a terror attack, right? And we want to improve our cybersecurity services. So we'll introduce like cybersecurity courses in our different universities. That will attract a lot of people because there's opportunity, there's money in it. But then who are they attracting? Are they attracting good people or people who want this skill to use it to to kill people or yeah. to uh, do another bad thing? So who are we attracting into these courses which have 
this ex- technical expertise that can that can do a lot of damage and yet so much good at the same time so i don't know i don't know it's it's such a it's a tough conversation, it's a tough conversation. Think, but it's a global conversation yeah. Yeah. what melissa was talking about about a friend her friend who is a social media uh, personality she's a journalist she's a journalist yeah, yeah? you see like someone like that you can say her portfolio is high social is her internet presence you know and when you when you hack into her internet presence and delete all of it you're basically deleting this person's livelihood so i think it it can you you can, you can narrow it down to saying that terrorism and first of all uh, i had one once a def- the definition of terrorism being using violence to gain political advantage but i feel like it, it it's so much more than just gaining political advantage it's it even just using a uh, violence whether it, whether it be internet violence to to attack someone personally i think it's a form of terrorism done on its own maybe not the right technical word to use for it mm-hmm. but it is it is harassment you know it's cyberbullying it's cyberbullying exactly now that's the right word so i think when it comes down to this there's little to nothing we can do to prevent these things because people will always they always be bad people in the society and technology will always be there in the in where in the age of google where literally there's everything on the internet so you cannot tell you cannot prevent someone from learning how to hack and delete someone's you know social media presence you cannot do that senior so i think it it the, the conversation moves from how these people are doing it to how we can protect ourselves from it but senior. i think I mean I would argue that for example uh whenever mass shooting occurs in the states mm-hmm. um you'll find that the attacker was cyberbullied yeah. in the high school for example mm-hmm. so it's not so much about what we can do to protect ourselves mm-hmm. I think we also have to find some sense of responsibility yeah as a society like are we is the way we are acting mm-hmm. fostering people or certain individuals are we responsible for that to become for them to become terrorists mm. are bad people always going to be bad or do good people decide to do bad things it's very it's very interesting i don't know i mean i think i think are we responsible for what we breed in society for what we raise or the people that we raise the children that we're bringing up I, I, you know, it's I very easy to, yeah. to shift the blame and say it's that bad person who did something bad and they should mm-hmm. be held accountable. But when you look at the environment, I mean, I'm not trying to sympathize or empathize with the villain, mm-hmm. but are we responsible? I can say to some extent society is responsible. If you look at like, <clears throat> our country, our economy, um, the youth, the people who are engaging in such acts are the youth. Um, the youth in Kenya, we are we have been told that we are the highest unemployed in the world in mm. Africa. In Africa, the youth are the highest unemployed. Um, we don't have jobs. We can't use our skill sets to and better our lives. And you know, poverty. I don't know. Africa just has a lot of problems that can breed such things to occur. Yeah, to some extent, I can say yes. To some extent. So, to some extent. Yeah. By, that, by that argument, you're saying that what we should focus on doing is providing better life 
for people yeah. so that they don't resort into either blaming society for doing wrong and deciding to act exactly. against it or blaming the government for doing for not taking care of them and acting against the government using uh, events of terrorism you know it's about avoiding it's about trying to find ways to to better lives of people so that they don't focus on the bad rather than just live good life and i think one of the solutions mm. in my view is mental health awareness mm. right both on the side of the the victim the victimized the people who've gone through the trauma um, or ptsd of having gone through a terror attack mm. and also the people who commit the crime because you find that a lot of the people have gone through some form of mental health issue maybe they're bipolar or maybe they are depressed maybe they suffer anxiety because you talked about the youth and unemployment that's something we cannot leave out of the conversation if we're talking about not just terrorism but why people choose to commit a crime mm-hmm. you understand so i think i mean i don't know if um any of you have any thoughts on that because i know right after the attack there are a lot of therapists counselors um psychologists offering free services which is very good um but how can we move that beyond immediately after a terror attack happens that's when it's offered to it being an every other day thing not so much that it has to be free but how can you make mental health services more available because i think that comes under prevention and not trying to cure um yeah the situation at hand do you think tech has any solutions for us um could we build platforms for um check doing checkups on our mental health and maybe um steps we can take because yeah. therapists b- basically talk to you right you guys think tech has any solutions for us in terms of yeah. definitely yeah. there is a company called Twakena um Twakena actually offers it's a Kenyan startup mm-hmm. that offers mental online mental health services um and the team is made is made up of psychologists you know people who have masters and phd's in psychology and can actually offer professional advice What's really good about this platform is that it's anonymous and so you don't have to disclose who you are or all your personal information you can actually just talk to the um an online um is there a psychologist um it's not free okay yeah should it be free i mean our healthcare system is already not free you need some level, some form of insurance to get access to dental services or medical services so i doubt yeah. it's free um it would not be sustainable if it's free unless it's subsidized by the government but maybe that also brings up the question of what can um the government or people in governance do um to subsidize some of these costs when it comes to mental health awareness um yeah it's a very very tough conversation to have but it needs to be to be had i think in kenya we still haven't adopted uh like people going for therapy it's it's a very small population maybe the affluent population who can afford such care for their mental health i think i think a lot we still live in a conservative kenya if i if i may say from where i come from we still live in a conservative space where you can you have to like hold hold your feelings or when you're younger you're not even being listened to i'm not saying this is my experience me i'm allowed to <laughs> i'm allowed to speak my thoughts um in a in a mod- moderated way yeah I, i think i can say that at, at this point in my life but we come from a society where younger people are not listened to younger people are not appreciated 
yeah so mm. mental the reason why I asked if it was free I don't know I'm Kenyan Kenyans we like free things but at the same time um, a service like that is especially between maybe six um, when you enter high school and when you're about to leave college I think mental hygiene is very important so that when you're going into now your years of working and um, interacting with people from maybe different nationalities and you're traveling all over the world as an adult you're able to articulate yourself well and you're able to put yourself in groups where people grow you and you're able to be just a better person in society contributing to good instead of maybe you lose yourself somewhere when you're younger when you're younger you don't have all the information and maybe mental health between high school and in your college years i think it can be very important to adopt that culture mm. and also not just relying on mental health services but then also practicing self care yeah so practicing, practicing mindfulness yeah. um meditating doing some form of exercise trying to involve yourself in the community mm-hmm. i think again just to get your mind off of the trauma that comes after terror attack because for example i was not inside riverside when it happened but a lot of my friends and you know family members were sharing the images and the videos and trying to warn you and you know there's a lot of fear mongering that goes on in whatsapp mm-hmm. so someone will tell you oh be be careful of going to this mall because there might be a terror attack and it's it's fear mongering maybe it's true maybe it's not true but you end up starting to want to be in isolation you don't want to leave the house you can't really block um some friends from sending you some, because the intention is good yeah. they're trying to warn you mm-hmm. you know but at the same time if you're consuming that type of content even when you when you've not requested for it it can actually affect your mental health so just trying to practice some form of self self care is very important it's interesting that you bring that up where exactly do you stand on sharing messages like this um because i feel on, on the one hand it's really important to um just let people know if there's any danger but on the other hand you're also like um helping the terrorists because they thrive on fear yes. so what exactly do you do in situations like this i think she means um accurate information not false information not mm. a photo you you saw in 2010 now you're putting it in, the, in this agenda for 2019 yeah think that's what she's she's speaking yeah that's that's like that's completely um we agree on that yeah it's just that sometimes you might see for example they saw this message going around on whatsapp um it said if anyone is inside the building please contact them there was a name a and a phone yeah. number and when we google that number and um on linkedin it wasn't like um a police officer or a member of the armed forces it was just a regular guy um yeah which is think is part of the misinformation Right. So, yeah. And also speaking of misinformation, you'll find that a lot of people who were trying to assist or trying to tweet about um uh what's going on ended up getting detained. And so at what point do you decide I want to help, I want to try and um maybe donate blood or give more information or provide access or just create awareness, but it ends up in you end up incriminating yourself. Yeah. Um Like one of the cases that most of our listeners might have heard of is is Bryson mm. Bryson Mamburi. So for those of you not familiar with the story, um this is a fourth year JQuad student who was studying IT and was interning at Chekki at the time. 
So Bryson was among the first people to hear the shots and tweeted about it. And as he was escaping um, through Nairobi River, he realized he can help some people. So as he was trying to help people out of the building, unfortunately he was um, arrested and detained by the Kenya police. Um, through some of his friends and family, people mobilized and got on Twitter and um, really just made his case for him to the authorities and it, it must have been seen by someone and, and he just through constant pressure um, we thank God that Bryson was, was released um, but yeah so it's, it's like a delicate balance between um, preserving safety and just also sharing new information I think that this topic is heavy but at the same time I think that we need to have it so that we are vigilant and we can see us as developers, like you said, um, Kevin, um, we can create like um, emergency an emergency services app where people can maybe like donate blood, um, and we can also use social media, our social media, our private social media, to to give maybe correct information to other people who might who might need. I don't know. I don't know. This this um, it, it's really open. What what um, ways do you think that tech can combat terrorism? Yeah, I think there are a number of ways which we can use to combat this vice. Um, I think one of the most obvious and most important ones is equipping our police better to deal with these issues. Um, with the advent of big data and machine learning and better tools to analyze, um, I think tech companies should be able to give or information to um, to security forces. I know that's going to be controversial with a lot of our listeners, mm-hmm. but think about it. it. Is it really okay for you, okay with you that Google and Facebook know everything about you and can sell it to advertisers, but you just, where you draw the line is, I don't want the government to have my data. Yeah, uh, do you guys ever see that paradox? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think, um, yeah, just improving um, intelligence gathering and also strengthening our police force and outreach. Um, I was watching a video by African Censored recently about the attack. So you can see, um, like, John Alan Namu and his camera guy try to follow some of the police officers into the building as the situation is still live. So there was a particular situation which was super dangerous. Um, they were all looking upwards at, at like one of the higher floors at Dusit. And then one of the terrorists threw a grenade at them. So the grenade thankfully didn't explode. But I think um, if some of the techies in Kenya could have built like um, maybe drones or just unmanned vehicles, yes. yeah, which could have gone into the building and given them like a tactical advantage, as they, as they were looking at, as, as they were trying to find these people. There's so much tech that um, we're underutilizing. What about like thermal imaging to find where these people were? Because um, a lot of this tech is available to us, and um, it's not as expensive as we might think. We just need um, like smart people speaking to the police so we can also like save lives do you guys agree i definitely agree yes and is it you know do we have to train 
um, the police force or people working in different levels of security to be more tech savvy? Or do, do you think we should foster more partnerships between developers and people in security? I think the latter is more is better is a better solution. You're starting to train someone who all his all his training has been told how to shoot a gun and throw a grenade and protect civilians when it comes to it, and then start telling them about technology. I feel it, like it's it's a bit more you know taking them out of their way. I think it should come down to specialization. Like instead of teaching police officers or these uh, armed forces how to use too much technology to solve crime, have a unit specifically trained on using technology to solve this problem. So, such that when, for instance, in the situation of the of the terror, terror, recent terror attack, uh, you have the armed unit ready to storm in, and then you have the, the technical unit of, of that armed forces uh, surveilling the situation, telling them there's, there's this number of guys on this room, sending in the drones, sending in the unmanned vehicles. And then I feel like that's, that would be a better approach to it, mm -hmm. uh, rather than starting retraining already trained officers on, mm -hmm. you know, technology. But what about the ones who are just entering the force? For example, if you've left high school or you've left university and you're interested in going to a defense college, mm -hmm. you're still, you know, you're, you're a millennial, you're young, you've probably interacted with technology. <coughs> Do you think in terms of training new uh, security talent, it's important to train them technically. I think that's very important. I think it can be approached kind of the way uh, armed forces approach uh, field medics, you see, they, and field cooks. They teach, they, they're really good cooks, but they can shoot a gun, you know? That's how they are trained. So I think it can be, it can be approached in the same way. Like if you want to get into forces, but as a technical person, yes, you focus on combating terrorism attack using technology. You focus on, on knowing how they are hacking, on knowing how they are communicating or tapping into their smartphones, smartphones during communication with their mobiles, you know, and trying to stop them from that directive. But on the other hand, you are a soldier first, so should it come down to it, you should also be able to protect yourself and civilians. Definitely. Yes. I think tech could also be useful in um, creating so, um, like better social services. Mm. Um, what I mean by this is we should be able to interface with our, with our leaders and speak to them more mm. because I find that propaganda works so much better um, for people who are disenfranchised and any um, they only have like all the information they get is linear. Like mm. um, picture like uh, a young boy in I don't know. Mandera or Lokichar, like, did, did, you, did you guys know that people from the northern part of Kenya don't consider themselves Kenyans? Um, I had friends in high school who were, like, genuinely um, used to talk about Nairobi as Kenya and their homes as just Turkana. So they're like, hey, I'm afraid, tena kuja Kenya. Can you, can you imagine? Mm. So Actually, you're the second person I know who said that. They yeah. visited Turkana. And they said that, you know, a lot of people there do not consider themselves Kenya. Kenyan or in Kenya, even when geographically and politically they are. They really don't. Because to them, um, it's just a land where the government is and they have no idea what it looks like to for. So I think, yeah, like Victor was saying earlier, just exposure to um, just more tech and just platforms where they can speak to their leaders and all these things. Mm. If I if I knew that there was someone in my location recruiting young people and telling them the way the government in Nairobi is evil 
and they just want to kill our people they're the ones who cause the droughts mm. and all these propaganda messages they're sending like i can be able to speak to my leader and they they'll like disparage this shit Mm. <laughs> I definitely agree with you because and I, and I genuinely feel like we are our brother's keepers. Yeah. Um you know that same person who decides to shoot 100 people in a building probably feels disenfranchised. They feel like maybe they can't get a job. Forgetting that even the person that they're shooting is probably looking for a job. Maybe they were at an interview mm-hmm. at Dusit. So I feel like we maybe we don't realize that we have a shared struggle yeah. and we need to find commonality um as the youth and also bridge that ageism gap or of its us versus them mm-hmm. it's the old people who are in power and it's us young people who are struggling i think we need to find some sense of commonality um and unity yeah and, and something that i also saw during this attack was a sense of community mm-hmm. when it came to um if i compared to, i'm not comparing but when it came to this particular attack i saw a sense of community right now as you said um people are offering free counseling services um there were people who were serving um food f- to the soldiers who had stayed there the whole night so i think from from this sense of community we can create our own like whatsapp groups uh, people are talking about the nyumbakumi initiative um how come i did not know my neighbor was about to do this mm-hmm. so i think for that initiative since it was not working before i think that chiefs and people who are who are responsible for a particular like zone they need to know how they how like people who've moved in into the neighborhood and how they are contributing to that neighborhood and who these people actually are and mm. maybe for an initiative like that they can use tech maybe to put our maybe a ledger i don't know um tech can be used in some sort in maybe a, a, an initiative like nyumbakomi it's interesting that you mention a divide in terms of age you said Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's also like a really massive social divide um amongst like the the social classes in Nairobi. Um it didn't happen with this attack specifically. I felt um like we had a more cohesive voice with this attack. Yeah. But during Westgate there were people who actually could not be bothered. Um I was like unfortunately I saw I saw I saw this tweet um like this thread just after Westgate Well, I don't remember the the user but they were asking like um game game ni sangapi mm-hmm. like they generally did not care about it so when people um tried tried to like get on his case and ask him asked him why he was so insensitive he was like um there were 40 cops who were shot in Baragoy mm-hmm. by like the cattle rustlers and no one really cared do you guys just only care when when rich people are, are shot which i feel like is a sentiment that was also um seen widely after there were like 147 kids um yeah university age students who were shot dead mm. in in garissa um don't quote me on this but i feel like the year on record literally <laughs> yeah don't don't quote me on this but i feel like the response then to the garissa attack might have been um more muted mm-hmm. than like the responses so after westgate completely and i think one question that i have to all of you is why is it that there's more media attention when it's um you know luxury hotels like dusit or more affluent residences like riverside and not so much about media attention 
but why do terrorists choose such places obviously it's because they'll they'll gain more um focus more attention is there a reason do you think there's a reason that that place was targeted specifically because again part of uh fearmongering fearmongering and rumor making is that there were about 180 US um uh visitors who had come in for some conference you know there's so many stories that were going on as to why that specific place but do you feel like some places get more media attention when they're hit or attacked and why i think terror um operates like any other business or organization so they're looking for a return on investment oh, yeah. so yeah so they i'm sure they're aware that the um, the areas where they're going to get um like most, most yeah like the most coverage because they're in the business of spreading fear so if they if they attack like a god forbid like a, a primary school in the middle of of nowhere in northeastern um it would be like a, a massive tragedy but attacking the heart of your city especially where the like loads of techies and all these things investors yeah so they they know that this is going to have like um international repercussions they know um yeah so i, I feel like running a business they they know exactly what's going to give them like the most um return yeah because um Nairobi university is just next to it and they already went to another university i don't know it such close proximity when you, when you think about it why did they not but it's already happened and i think that i i yeah, i don't know my head is just in a whirlwind right now trying to process trying to st- i'm still processing this information and i think going into building sometimes even going to into the supermarket i went to the supermarket yesterday and i got out there as soon as i could and i think that the government can this time their response was better their cyber security i'm sure the army the army when they went in they did a quick job and even when their responses when they're getting this information about he lived here he lived in a dorm he has relatives on this side now they're in Mombasa i think that this time the intel was quite okay mm. it was quite and i hope they can do better and i hope that us even as developers when you're creating these applications do, create applications like we've said from episode 1 create applications which are good for society create value in society someone out there create an emergency response um application i understand there's a red cross application mm-hmm. where people can get blood teach people how to um because um because terrorism is not just specific to kenya it's, it's all over the world so i think we need to create an application which can um teach people how to counter these attacks and um when let's say they're faced they're in this situation how they can go about the situation in order to save their life or if you're out there how you can use social media to be better mm-hmm. and to do better and how you can help your community i think we need to create these communities also and i think we also need to have a con- counter terrorism conference just specific to kenya or just africa and other countries which are affected by terrorism um in the last few years can come and showcase us showcase to us what we can do as a society to improve on this and one last thing that i saw is um, now private guards are going to be um armed i'm curious to know what your take is on that because so so now is... you know even i was at the hub in karen recently i was going shopping 
and now you have to get out of your car kind of like how it is in Jomo Kenyatta yeah. International Airport it's not just about scanning your car and opening your windows and opening your boot now uh, passengers have to get out and drivers have to get out and then they search you before you even enter and immediately i entered those um one of the guards who had a gun and then there was another um guard right inside who had, so i mean we're stepping into an age in Kenya where more people will be armed not just people in security and so what do you guys think about that because it even gets to a point you're like well should i also get an a licensed firearm you know it's it's what do you do what do you guys think about that whole arms movement happening right now well personally to me um i i genuinely see the need for it but i think it's a it's a misstep and and here's why Kenya is one of the most um, polarized and unequal societies in the world, not only in Africa. Mm-hmm. And in societies like this specifically, adding guns to people who are also struggling with mental health issues is, is going to like be a massive tragedy. That's what I think. But that said, there's still the need for better security. So um, um, to your to your point, um, they said that in I think Uganda and in Rwanda. They have this policy where security guards have um, um, firearms. So why is Kenya not having the same measures to protect our people? So I think that's where the argument for the private security guards having um, firearms came into question. Why is it that in Uganda and Rwanda they have no terrorist attacks, but in Kenya our, our guards are not armed? And how can we better their safety? I think going forward, Arming guards, it's almost it, okay. It, it, if it, it's happening, it's happening. Cynthia, I always say that sometimes there's little to nothing we can do when policies are made by the people in government. It's it, it maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, but democracy also has its limits. You know, if they decide they've done that and they pass it as a bill, what can we do? So the best thing that we can do is find a way to have better registration systems, better tracking systems, know who has the gun, where they have the gun, where they use the gun, yes. you know, yeah. so that we don't have people shooting out everyone and we don't know who shot them, we don't know where they got the gun from, yeah, we don't know under who the gun is registered, so I think we just need to, if we are going to move forward with the arming of, of security guards, then there needs to be proper record, there needs to be transparency so that everyone that is armed is known so that should they ever decide to use the gun against you know uh, against for the for for no, for, 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 for no good it it will be known you know and there can be countermeasures next time like why did this go wrong did we not vet him correctly did we not train him correctly you know and it can be improved gradually over time so it's it's more about how we approach it rather than the, the issue itself. Yeah. So it's we approach it in a way such that we approach it carefully and with room for improvement. We, we, we structure it such that we can be able to improve it real quick and gradually and for the better. Yeah. I agree. So away from private guards, mm-hmm. um, Melissa, what do you think on like individuals owning guns? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting conversation because you have some countries... Um, in the UK, I mean, you have some countries like the UK, for example, where even police guards do not have yeah. guns. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, you'll find the odd terror attack happening once every few years, but you know, it's it's very safe. You can walk at two in the morning without the fear of being robbed. You can get on a bus without the fear of something happening to you. So I don't know. I mean, I think while it's interesting, I mean, it's, it's good to protect yourself. Personally, for me, as an individual, I would not like to own a firearm ever. Because, you know, for example, if someone gets shot, it's not so much, you know, it's not so much the person, it's, it's because there was a gun, that's why crime happened, you know. So for me, it's a no for me. What do you think, Michelle? I, me too. I don't like guns at all, at all. <laughs> but I can, the, um, there was um, one of the officers who was in there, he said, um, maybe we, we need to incorporate some um, first aid into our education system. Mm. People need to be fit. I think that's what I can do personally instead of owning a gun. I can be personally fit. I can teach myself first aid. Um, I don't. Mm. There's actually this man. He's called Inayat Kasam, yeah. and he offers um, training, like defense training, defense training, yeah. um, Krav Maga, which is basically using whatever you have around you to, def- you know, protect yourself. I think there are many measures you can take to protect yourself without using a firearm. And there's this quote that people like to use. They say that. Um, Guns don't shoot people, people shoot people. Mm-hmm. Or is it that yeah. Yeah, guns is. shoot people or people don't shoot people? One of those. Guns don't so shoot people. It's people, people. But like, if there's no gun, no one would be shot. Just to reiterate what I've said. What do you think, Kevin and Victor? I think it's, um, it's a slippery slope from the, the private guards owning the guns. Then next, um, what happens if one of the private guards goes rogue or something mm-hmm. um, just before Victor shares his thoughts I would also like to hear um, about a solution that's from left field um, you guys, have you guys heard of universal basic income? No so it's a concept where you give everyone in the society yeah. enough money just to, to, to live on and, and cover their basic so needs. like welfare yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. exactly so basically welfare exactly like well, so you get cash instead of like um how does welfare work? You get points, you can go redeem or something. Yeah, you can get uh, cash, you can mm. get a weekly allowance, depending yeah. on how many children that you have. Yeah. Um, if you're unemployed, for example, in Germany, they pay for your flat, they pay for you to get a suit to attend your first interview, and some people can be unemployed for up to two years, but the government will give them some form of wel- welfare. In the UK as well, if you earn below a certain amount, you can Plenty. be on unemployment benefits and get, I think... It's probably gone up, but a few hundred pounds a week. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it works in some states. Would that work in Kenya? What do you think? What do you think? <laughs> what I think? I think it boils down to societal. No, uh, Kenya, <laughs> I feel like it would be exploited. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Very much. People would be like, why do I need to go to work if I can get paid for being unemployed? You know? I think it works in societies where cost of living is so high that even with that unemployment benefit, you still need to supplement yourself. But in Kenya, cost of living is really not high. Like, I mean, in Kenya, with $1,000, you can live a very comfortable life. $1,000 per month. In company in a country like the states, that's not enough to get you through a week. That's poverty. Yeah, that's poverty. So you see, like, so that by by virtue of that, it means that unemployment benefit would either be very little, such that it's almost not relevant, or if it's enough, then it will be exploited so badly 
do with with such a low cost of living. I mean, give someone that that thousand Kenyan shillings for free monthly, they will not work. They will not seek employment. They will freelance here and there, do their own thing, and at the end of the month, go collect an employment salary. Let me pick your brain a bit more on this. Yeah. So I think there was a study actually done in Kenya yeah. on universal basic income. And um, like a lot of people had the same expectations that you did. Mm. Um, like, how are you? What are you doing? When are you doing? Yeah, like they, they just thought, um, like, guys, just go get drunk with the money and just squander it. But people actually ended up using this money on food and education and transport and stuff like that. I completely agree with you. And I'm not defending my case of looking at the negative side. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, when you put it in such that the, you're, you're, you're offering this money to someone who is in a position to improve themselves, like a student, then it makes sense. And I completely agree with that, Joe. You're freeing this person up from having to study for like three hours and then go to hustle to make school fees and to make rent. And But when you facilitate them by giving them, you know, free school fees, free food, uh, that is, no, free money to, not free money, benefits to, 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 for upkeep, then you, you are enabling them, you know, to, to, to empower themselves. So it's also, a, it's also a matter of when and who at the point in life are you giving them these benefits. If you're giving these benefits to someone who is not in a position to, uh, you know, looking, someone who is not personally looking to empower themselves, then, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting concept to explore because um, just like as hard as I'm defending it, mm. I've seen even the higher education loans being misused. Um, we've all seen these guys who get the loan and they don't pay for any of the education. They just go and splurge it on a few weekends. So yeah, I think um, universal basic income is an interesting topic to to explore as a countermeasure for terrorism. Let me chime in on uh, welfare as a tool to combat uh, terrorism. You see, the thing is, on the face of it, such measures seem to be fine. But when you actually scrutinize them a little bit, you'll discover that they fall flat. And this is what I mean. You see, the thing is, when you look at terrorism, especially if you look at the form that it's taking now, which is religious fundamentalist terrorism, it is multifaceted, but financial motive is actually the lowest factor. And this is what I'm saying. Because if you look, for example, in Kenya, poorest people are not from a particular community only. Poverty strikes the whole nation. Lack of access to education, amenities, lack of uh, financial mobility, economic mobility, affects cross religions, cross ethnicities. Yet, you find that more often than not, the form of crime, because all of them get into crime, but the form of crime that is fundamentalist religious terrorism takes a particular shape and form. So that already disqualifies finance as a factor. If you look at welfare states, the, one of the largest welfare states is Saudi Arabia. It is a welfare state in its essence. The government subsidizes a lot of things subsidizes education, subsidizes a lot of things because of their oil wealth and because it's an absolute monarchy. But it is the largest exporter, it is the largest exporter 
of terrorism. Do you have data to back this up? That is the largest export of terrorism. Yeah. Okay. I don't have hard data, but I will tell you just one fact. Okay. okay? Of the 19 uh, attackers, 9/11, 12 of them or so were from Saudi Arabia. Osama bin Laden was from Saudi Arabia. Many terrorism, even the the, the, the terrorists that attacked Kenya in August April from Saudi Arabia. Many terrorism, many terrorists are from Saudi Arabia. Okay? So the thing is finance isn't a, isn't a motive, okay? The reason why I'm saying that it's not to castigate a particular community of religion. That's why I'm not naming names, right? The reason why I'm saying that is to effectively combat something, you need to critically analyze it, okay? If I have a rotten uh wound that is rotted and it reaches the point where I have to amputate it to tell somebody I need to chop off your foot to save your life the doctor needed to analyze it and come to the hard decision i think it's a battle of ideas i think we need to combat this ideology with a superior ideology okay and i do not think we cannot we can reduce it just to throwing money at the problem or reduce it to financial to to the factor to the lack of finances and stuff because poverty affects most of africa but most of the terrorism in most of africa does not reflect the face of africa it reflects affects and afflicts particular communities from a particular belief system that is fundamentalist in nature i i completely get what you're saying and i agree on many levels what I was trying to bring out is um what do you think of everyone starting from a level playing ground as a means to reduce um the impact of propagandists on our youth because we're going to have like the largest youth population in the world you know that right yes. africa in a few years yes. so um with the advent of al shabab and boko haram mm-hmm. how do we stop young people who are seemingly disenfranchised from joining this um criminal organizations what do you think would be like a better way to stop people joining these organizations okay i would this is how i answer it you see i would take it much wider than this particular form of 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 uh, of illegalities if i might put it like this this particular shape in which illegalities take accounts to very few deaths but because of the nature of it it has a big magnifying glass that is not equivalent to its actual impact on society okay more people die from other forms of of illegal activity from drug uh, from drug abuse from 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 shootings domestic violence from just general general delinquent behavior from young people are you getting so if we look at it like that that is when finance becomes a factor because across the different shapes illegal activities take disenfranchisement poverty lack of economic mobility is a factor in all of them right so what i'm trying to say is do not limit this fight to this one form in a big spectrum of illegal activity this is one form it takes which is fundamentalist belief okay so fundamentalist belief is one form but there is uh, crime there is uh, involvement in drugs there is all those things and yes 
All those things can be sorted, but it can't be sorted the way I'm assuming you're saying. You can't throw money at it. The best thing you can do to somebody, and I'm, I'm going to use a statistic, over 90% of lottery winners go back into poverty within five years. Okay? I'm going to throw another statistic. It is theorized that if everybody was to be given this, if all the, world of the, all the money of the world was to be taken and given to everybody equally, in six years, the richest people will be rich and the poorest people will go back to poverty. The issue isn't money or a starting playing field. The issue is education and giving somebody meaning and purpose. When somebody has a purpose, they will automatically start living out bad behavior. So in other words, what are our African youth living for? In other words, we need to define an African dream. That is what I'm saying. Combating the ideology with a stronger ideology. And that ideology is cross-platform. Telling somebody there is no need to litter. We have an African dream. There is no need to, 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 to get in, involved in drugs. There is an African dream. There is a place apart for you individually to play in this dream of ours. We need to discover what it means to be African. That's the beauty about Africa was that we had a culture and a society that found a way to deal with its socially delin social delinquents without jails and dungeons. We never had jails and dungeons. What does that mean? We used honor. We used a greater ideal to be able to create a society that people self-regulated. There are certain things you just didn't do. You didn't want to offend the ancestors. We didn't want to offend our elders. There are certain values we held as Africans that for, the, for, the, for us to be colonized, they had to water down those values first. Then they could introduce to us a value system that was strange to us and that it disenfranchised us as a people and had us compete on that new value system from a disadvantaged starting point. But as Africans, we've caught up. We started way behind, but we've caught up. We have techies. We are building tech that's even been used in, in, in for example, in America. The, the post, after post-election violence, a Kenyan built a system that was being used in states during the presidential election of Trump to see if there's violence coming up. That's a Kenyan who did that. Those are Africans building solutions that are being used in the West. We've caught up. Now let's rediscover our own value system and put it on top of this value system to, this, to create a future for a new Africa where our young have a value system that is not strange to them. It's a powerful argument. Um, one of the other things we were discussing was arming private guards. Just tell us your thoughts on that. And also, like by extension, Arming private citizens. Arming private, okay. I, I am I'm pro-gun in a sense because I believe, I'm pro-gun in a sense because I believe that, sorry, pardon me. I believe that evil prevails when good people do not act. What do I mean by that? There is a gentleman, an Asian gentleman, I'm assuming. He saved a lot of people, both at Westgate and during this particular attack. He was an armed citizen. And I'm sure that a lot more would have been prevented if there were good armed citizens to oppose the bad actors. Okay? But such a system has to have some safeguards because, okay, you can't just arm everybody 
you have to take to account that when guns are in the home, careless parents can have, you know, kids can get hurt and stuff. There's, there's a lot that goes to gun management and maintenance. I believe the system that we now have in Kenya is strict enough, okay? But the thing is, I don't think that evil people will lack access to ammunition and guns. They already get access to ammunition and guns. So, an evil person will have access to ammunition and guns. If we have a registry the way we have in Kenya, where citizens who are armed, the police and the authorities know who they are, know where they are, we have a licensing system, we can move forward in such a way that we can expand that, give more training, and say we have, for example, a point system. You need to be of a certain minimum age and you need to have, you know, proved yourself in society. For example, you don't give 20-year-olds guns. You say you have to have 35 and above. That's when you can apply for a license. And then you get training for at least a year. And then after that, you're licensed to carry a firearm. Okay? Mental. And then you have to prove that so you can. The mental part. Do, do you think that mentally... Do you think there's, there's supposed to be a mental aspect into owning a gun? Yes. But... I don't want a very expensive bulky system. So I'm assuming by the time you're reaching 35, you've filtered for those issues. You'll have flagged down any mental cases by the time you've reached 35. Now, I am talking off the top of my head. I've not thought this through, but I am pro-gun. I am, I am for arming citizens or a particular subset of citizens to be able to stand in and prevent and subsidize the, the, the police force. Because when an incident happens, for example, at that particular place, there might not be many police force. But a few citizens who have the capacity to even hold or to push back a little or to kind of stun the attack and tell them, oh, I'm hearing that there is return fire somewhere, saves lives, even if it's one life. That could be, that could be my brother. That could be everything to me. That one life saved by one citizen could be everything to me. I think Max, you should join it. What do you think of the whole gun issue? Yeah, first of all, I think it would be... First of all, I'd like to make it known that I am pro-gun. Then, second of all, it would be better to arm our private security guards and the citizens, generally. Because, let's see, um, our security guards are not armed. Um, they only carry batons and yeah, they only carry batons and so we have a situation whereby there are armed gangsters with AK-47s and you have your security guard with a baton. That isn't fair, so I think it would be fair to arm them so that we can say level the playing field. That would um, really reduce the cases. I think it would really reduce the cases, yeah. So, I mean, just to be a bit of a conspiracy theorist, you don't think that this is part of an arms sort of dealership movement to get more people to purchase guns? Okay. I mean, would you say it, it's, it was a planned attack with the intention, or with one of the intentions being um, that? Okay. Um, I, 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 I think in life you can't out rule, rule out anything. That could be a possibility, but the reason I'm thinking is highly unlikely and because of this. First of all, bad actors 
guns in East Africa, the Horn of Africa, is very cheap to acquire. But licensed guns to get them legally in Africa, let me not say Africa, let me not speak for the continent, let me speak about East Africa. I know about Tanzania and Kenya. Let me just limit them to those two nations. It's very expensive. There are hundreds of thousands to get a firearm. It's tens or even sometimes just thousands to rent an illegal firearm. So it is more expensive to acquire a firearm. There won't be a mass push in Africa to buy firearms for citizenry. Now, however, if you're to say you're going to require all security guards to be armed as a factor of law, you require it, then that could be an issue. But I wouldn't think they would go through the whole of instigating an attack because the people who went there for that attack weren't going there because they were paid to do it. They went there because they believed in it so much that they're willing to die. It was a suicide mission. You're not paying somebody to have that commitment. That's somebody who believes intently with his life, willing to put his life for the ideology that he's dying for. Those aren't mercenaries who are just in it for profit. Those were people who went there saying, I am going there to die. I believe in what I'm doing to the point I'm willing to lay my life. That is an ideological issue. It is not simply a political issue. It is not simply an issue which you can solve by throwing money at it. It's an issue which we can tackle as a people. First thing, we, we should not, and this I want, I cannot stress this enough, we should not set apart any section of our populace and lump them with the perpetrators of that, of that attack because mm. there are Muslims who died there. You get what I'm saying? So we as a nation need to fight this fundamentalist ideology first by isolating it and not putting any part of our population who are innocent, who are law-abiding citizens, who believe in their God and are good people for their faith. And we should not put them together with people who will commit such, such atrocious acts and lump them together. So we need to isolate the ideology and say this is wrong. We are the people, no matter your, 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 your tribe, no matter your race, no matter your religion, we do not stand for any ideology that condones the slaughter of innocent people. Okay? And then we attack that ideology with an ideology. You cannot do it by force. That just seems to strengthen the resolve. Because if somebody is willing to put his life for something, you're not going to threaten his life for him to change. You need to bring up an idea an ideology. You fight idea with a more superior idea. And is there is there any way that tech can come in, like to combat terrorism? In your view, I know oh. we've belabored the point. Yes, yes. But how do you think technology can be used to drive social impact? Ah, technology is amazing. Technology is amazing. The reason I'm saying that is already right now technology helped a lot of people at that place. Social media, first of all, spread the awareness of what was happening faster than it would have been if there was no social media. People were tweeting, there was a gentleman who was tweeting, and everybody was with him. Everybody was cheering for him. That gentleman is like, he's in the bathroom, he's waiting. Everybody was rooting for him, and people were trying to, 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 to get him because of that. I saw us come together as a nation because of technology. Technology exposed 
exposed the brutality of this particular act to the point it shook our conscience and said, got us together and said, no, 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 this shall not stand. At a time of deep division, political division, we stood together because of technology. But not only that, practically technology can be used. Um, there's this new technology I'm hearing, it's called smart gun. So basically, you can only fire it. Okay, it's been hacked, so they're still tweaking the technology, but you can only fire it if you're the owner of the gun. So if you're the owner of the gun, you're the only one who can fire it. So they're trying to improve that, that technology. It, it was hacked, but they're trying to improve it. But what does that mean? That means that I buy my firearm legally. I'm the only one who can fire it. So if somebody steals it to go take it to the black market, it doesn't work. If somebody steals it to go sell it illegally, it doesn't work. And then now we can say, improve the, the, the accountability of firing a, a, a firearm. In other words, if I fire it, first of all, it is known I fire it. If we have the internet of things, it sends a blast that this particular gun belonging to Leo Igane has been fired at this location. That's also maybe I'm being attacked by somebody. That's also an alarm system. Authorities are, are involved and they're aware that this gun has been fired at a particular place and they come in. Other, for example, uh, subsidiary people, maybe gun owners in the, in the vicinity, that's a distress call. They can come in and say, why are you firing it? So if I am being careless with my firearm, response is quick. If I am being careful, if I'm actually being responsible with my firearm, help is coming quick. Okay? And then with that, we dry out the supply of illegal firearms to the point that if a bad actor is firing, the gun is firing, is registered to him, it's easy to find him. He's robbed, he's fired in the air to scare people. We know this has been fired. Investigation, why was this gun fired? This guy was committing a robbery. We know who he is. We know his registration. We know his ID number. We know his identity to get him as quickly. And probably that's the only act of violence he will do because he can't do again because he's been his picture has been sent out and stuff like that. So yes, we can improve because the technology of manufacturing guns is there. Guns will be manufactured. But we can dry out the detachment from a fired firearm to the person who's firing it by, by bridging them together. Just manufacturing guns that only get registered and once they're registered, you cannot re-register them again. So once I've bought that gun, it's mine for life. The only thing is I return it to be destroyed. It cannot be resold. Things like that. Smart way, of, smart way of making sure that the gun and the gun owner are one. I think that's a, that's a smart way to go. Um, Leo, it seems like we're coming back to the gun debate a few times. Yes. Um, just to ask you a question I've been thinking about. Yes, sir. What happens when you create a class of people who are allowed to be armed and most of the population is not? Yeah. So in addition to the inequality we already have in our country right now, you'd give basically rich people and the upper middle class the power to take away life. Yes. If you keep doing this and make our society more and more unequal by the day, you create a class of people who honestly believe that the only way to get out of the system is to destroy it. Um, yes. Do you think this will destabilize the whole society we've built? Actually, that's a very valid point and that's true because the way it is, you're right, it creates the risk of creating a group of people who have access to a gun, which is a force multiplier. They don't have the ability to take life. Even poor people can take your life. You don't need a gun to take life. 
you can use a knife, you can just strangle somebody, you can beat him to death, you can do a lot of things. So you are giving people with the capacity to have a force multiplier and the rest of the people are denied, not via law or fiat, they're denied because of their lack of access or because of their financial capacity. That is true. So that is something that needs to be incorporated in a larger scheme. And that's why I said we can't just look at this as a single thing. We have to look at how we redesign our society as Africa to give people purpose so that they can earn. Knowing that if you throw money at people, they'll just still be poor. So the issue isn't giving people money, the issue is giving them a purpose so that they then create and generate wealth. So that is why I'm saying the gun issue cannot be isolated. You can't just give people guns or give people the capacity to buy guns and leave it at that. No, we need to rethink the whole architecture of, of Africa. We are, we are techies. We know that there are certain patches that you cannot just do. You need to, there are certain flows which are systemic in the design of the application you've built. You need to redesign your application. Certain things you can patch them, certain you cannot. This particular issue in terms of insecurity, in terms of uh, youth getting disenfranchised, in terms of the growing inequality cannot be solved by just one or two things. It has to be, the whole system has to be redesigned. How we've structured our society has to be redesigned to be able to hold our, our, our elected officials, our leaders more accountable. We need to hold them to, uh, to, to make them more accountable. We need to redesign this structure and make it like us. We inherited a structure which we did not know how well it functioned or how it's good and bad. We inherited a structure and all we did after we inherited the structure, we just ran with it. Now we need to sit down and redesign. Who redesigned it? Who are we as Africans? Why, why how are we doing X as opposed to Y? Why are we, uh, for example, having a president rather than a prime minister? Why don't we have a, a United States of Africa? Why do we have single states that war with each other? Why are we tribalistic? Why don't we include more people? We need to dig deep as Africans and come up with a society that works for all. Like the way our forefathers kind of did. Yes, does that answer you? It does, on some level. Mm -hmm. So, um, the thing is, it's like a hard concept to grasp. Mm -hmm. Like redesigning a whole society yes. is like a task that's going to take generations at least. Yeah. So, yeah, there are really no easy answers to counterterrorism, but yeah, we're hoping that tech is going to be like a key part it of implementing be. solutions to our problems. Tech makes everything easier and smaller. Tech connects all of us. For the first time in history, every single Kenyan has the capacity to talk to each other and give their opinion on an issue that involves Kenyans. Before, you had letters, you had newspapers. Now you can go online, tweet about it. In fact, we can have a forum, build a forum, where every Kenyan is logged in and every Kenya has a say in what's going on. In fact, now more than ever, we, can, we don't need a multiple generations to redesign our society. Maybe 10 years. Build a forum where everybody is involved, a social forum, and everybody chimes in, and we will do it in 10 years. We have the capacity to get everybody's opinion. We have the capacity to have everybody's hold on it real time. So anyway, that's, uh, I guess, my last on it. 
Max, what do you think? Okay. Um, yeah, that works. And also, I think that we should also have more forums whereby people can sort of like a neighborhood watch, a digital form of a neighborhood watch, whereby people can be able to share what is going on in their hood. Um, I, I think what Kenyans are lacking is um, a way to reach out to one another easily. Um, yeah, I think that can really work. So if you want to contribute to the Nyumbakumi initiative, I think you should look on it. Alright, so thank you everyone for tuning in today to this podcast. It was a very a sort of different one. We talked about tech, we talked about terrorism, mostly about terrorism, but I feel that it was an important issue to discuss uh, more than anything. And I'm, I'm grateful for the guests that we had and for all the input that they've given towards this topic. And for all of you, our listeners, I hope that you take away uh, all the best things that you've heard from this, from this podcast and share them with your friends and family. And just keep, keep watch, keep, keep, keep be on the lookout, uh, stay true to your neighbor, and together we can uh, avert terrorism and, put, and bring it to an end. All right, until next time, have a good day.